you are one of our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. There we go. Man, I don't know about you guys, but man, whenever we want to go back to those that throwback hymn, man, that just it just gets me, you know? It just gets me right in the soul, right in the heart. I love a good old hymn. Let me invite you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of John. We'll be in chapter 11 today. John chapter 11, that's where we'll be camping out for most of our time today. And let me just say that if today is your first day with us, we're excited and we're glad to have you here. Um, if you do not have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our Connect table. And uh, we'll be in John chapter 11 today. Today is the second day that we've been in this series called 2018 in Review. 2018 in Review, where we look back at some of the biggest topics of the year, where we look back at those things that were in the headlines that everybody was talking about, that everybody knows about. There were some of those, those moments that just really took our nation by storm and really took captive of, of most of the things that, that we talked about, most of the things that we thought about. Now, if you weren't here last week, we kind of introduced the series. One of the very first things that we talked about was the video game Fortnite. Now, Fortnite is a huge phenomenon. I'm not going to go back into that and hash that all back up. You can see it on our sermon audio page right there on the website where we talked about Fortnite, but we also talked about God's good gifts that He gives us that we're meant to enjoy as long as we don't slip into idolatry. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to be kind of camping out through this. Next week, we're going to look at Black Panther, uh, one of the biggest movies of the year, which caused a little bit of controversy, believe it or not, about uh, stirred up a little bit of racism in our country. And then last but not least, and we're going to hit the Me Too movement, one of the most talked about things, probably the most talked about thing of all of last year. And the reason that we're going through this, the reason that we're ad- addressing and kind of hitting these, these topics, even though they cause controversy, is that, guess what? You're going to talk about it anyway, right? You're going to talk about it. You're going to learn about it. You're going to talk about it at work. You're going to talk about it around the water cooler. You're going to talk about it at dinner table. And if we're not willing to talk about those things here at church and try to teach a biblical perspective of what those things might be, then where else are you going to learn from? Where else are you going to learn your worldview? Where else are you going to learn your perspective on those things? And man, some of those topics we haven't even got to and you're already mad at me, but listen, we're teaching a biblical perspective on these things. No opinions, no no Facebook politics, none of that garbage. We're really just talking about what the Bible has to say about those things. And today, unfortunately, we're going to hit probably one of the most um, hurtful, one of the most um, just tragic catastrophes of last year. And that was uh, February 14th of last year, 2018, in Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, a gunman by the name of Nicholas Cruz went inside uh, the high school there, went inside the building, and 17 people lost their lives that day, uh, many of which were, were obviously teachers and some were faculty, and there were another uh, 17 that were injured in the process. And uh, This event went on to become known as today what is the largest uh, shooting, a uh, largest school shooting in our country's history, and uh, today we... 
we just want to take some time before we even jump in uh, to, to John 11. I, 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 don't, I don't really want to rush into that. Um, I, I feel like it would be um, somewhat irreverent of us to do that. And so I, I wanted to just give us just a few minutes, um, just maybe a couple seconds, and um, to just kind of reflect and pray uh, about this day, February 14th. 2018. So maybe just kind of like in your seat, would you just kind of lift up a prayer, maybe kind of of reflection, just kind of lift up a prayer about the 17 lives that were lost that day? Father, it's in these moments of life, God, where our hearts just bellow out with sorrow, and we just look to you, our only source of hope, and, and just, Lord, in our hearts, we just say, Lord, come quickly to deliver us from things like this. Lord, we reflect on the lives that were lost that day and the families that are still hurting right now, suffering. Lord, still don't know why. Lord, our nation even still is in this place of just mourning over the lives that were lost. And so, God, we pray that this morning you might give us some sense of wisdom about how to handle this, about how to handle events whenever they occur. Lord, give us hearts that are just broken for events like this, but also just words of, of hope, words of courage, that even in the midst of chaos and even in the midst of tragedy, that we as Christ followers, as your body, can still face the future with courage and with hope. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Some of you might be wondering why in the world we're addressing this, why in the world that we're talking about this, and, and, and here's kind of the reason behind it. You, you've got a lot of events that you could have covered. Why in the world would you cover the most sad? Why in the world would you cover the most tragic? And, and here's just the reasoning behind that. Listen, this is... Um, Unfortunately, this is where we are in our country, and these sorts of things are going to start happening probably more and more often, and whenever events like this happen, whenever tragedy strikes our nation, especially in such a large, massive following where it's just everywhere, you, you can't get past it, in moments like this, the world is looking at the church and wondering, wanting to know what does the church have to say about those things. And so I just want to implore you this morning that the world is looking at you in moments of chaos. That the world is looking at you specifically in your workplace whenever things like this happen. Your neighbors are looking at you wanting to just see your response, wanting to see how you react, wanting to see how you behave, and wanting to see what you say in moments just like this. And so, listen, I, I, just, I want to just ask you this morning if you would lean in 
If you just lean in, because we have to know how we're going to handle ourselves, right? We have to know how Christians are supposed to behave. Now, it's not totally uncommon that whenever events like this occur, that you start to see questions like this, especially from those from a non-believing world, from, you know, kind of a, uh, an atheist, maybe agnostic perspective. They look at moments in, of tragedy like this in our nation, and they start to ask questions like, why does a good God, or how can a good God allow suffering? They look at moments like this and they ask questions like, oh, okay, I see, I see what's happening here at Parkland. If there is a good God, why in the world is it that bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Where was God whenever that happened? Surely if He's all-powerful, surely if He's all-good, He would have stopped these things from happening. Let's just be honest. Like, we've all asked these questions ourselves. At some point or another, we, maybe it's in the back of our minds, maybe in the deepest part of our minds, but somehow or another, we've all asked this very question, how could a good God allow this type of suffering? How could a good God allow an event like this to happen? How, how could it be? How could it be possible? And, and maybe we've all felt that somehow in this world, that as worshipers and as followers of Jesus, somehow we felt it just doesn't seem right that suffering should exist in our world. Now, not just suffering out there, but suffering in here. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus. God, why would you allow that to happen to me? God, why would you allow this to happen to somebody that I love? So why does God allow suffering out there? But not, not only that, but why does God allow suffering to me? Maybe I'm the only one, but I've asked that before. And, and here's the good news this morning. We know, we know that from a biblical narrative and from a biblical worldview that it's not so. That it's not the case. That as we look through the lens of the good news and the cross, we know that catastrophe can in fact exist in this world with a good and powerful God. That it can exist. And in fact, many times God uses suffering. He uses, He doesn't necessarily, He doesn't like it. He doesn't bring it about or orchestrate it to happen. But He uses those sufferings for His good and to accomplish His will. And so that's where we're going to be this morning in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture this morning, so I just ask if you would just kind of hang on with me. And we're going to deal with this topic. We're going to deal with this as much, with just as much sensitivity as possible. But what we're going to look at ultimately is how Jesus responds to a moment of tragedy in his own life. And he kind of sets the example for how we should too then face tragedy in this world. So John chapter 11, if you got it, say, I got it. It said, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, if you, maybe you're familiar with church a little bit, maybe this is your first time in church, I don't know. Mary and Martha, they were kind of close to Jesus. They were friends. This is not the first time that we've seen them in the scriptures. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. 
Now, if you're like me, something doesn't add up with that picture, all right? Something doesn't add up. Like, he, he, she comes to him. She says, Jesus, the one whom you love, Lazarus, he's sick. You got to come and you got to come and heal him. And Jesus says, I love him. And what does it say that he does? So he stayed two days. Doesn't really make sense. So he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go into Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Like, uh, Jesus, they're trying to kill you. Are we now going there again? Meaning, do we have to go too? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. I love that. I go to awaken him. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. It seems like if Jesus really wanted to save him, it seems like he would have left those two days sooner. He would have walked and he would have saved his friend Lazarus. But he tells them now, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also so that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now there's something significant about this, this, this four days. Now I, I love just the detailed nature of the Bible, the, the, the detail-oriented nature of the authors here, that, that Lazarus had been in the tomb for nearly four days. You see, in this time period, in this culture, it typically took about three days. That They believed, so to speak, they believed that the Spirit would kind of hover over the body. And that sometimes, maybe, maybe in, even close to this, there, there would be occasions where they would be getting ready to, to literally take people and put them in the ground and they would hear a knock on the coffin. And maybe they weren't just all the way dead. And so it was believed in this culture and in this time period that four days, now if they've been gone four, they're fully dead. All right, they're gone. There's no chance of bringing them back. If it's four, there's no spirit hoving over their body. There's no, there's no remaining there. There's not, there's not, they're not asleep. They're not playing dead. There's not some kind of chemical reaction in their body that's, that's making this way. After four, they're gone. Hence why Jesus stayed a little bit later. Four days Lazarus had been in this tomb. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about Two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and, and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, something different else about, about this culture is that they don't typically mourn the way that we mourn here in, in the States in 2019. You see, in this time period, as they've gathered around, normally the grieving process would have taken days, weeks, months. Like they would have, they would have sometimes brought in so many people that it, you would have confused it for a party. 
but they wept together in a crowd. And it says that sometimes they would even hire other people, hire professional grievers, hired out, like people to come in and grieve with them. And there would be long wailings and, and just crying for days and days and days. And sometimes here, you know, it, it, we, we recover pretty quickly, but it's totally different, totally different culture, totally different mindset. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, no, no, no. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die again. Shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now listen, this is where we get into the meat of today. This is where we get into the portion of exactly how we're supposed to respond, okay? So kind of lean in with me here just a second. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary had came to where Jesus was and saw him, Mary's now just running, and it says that she falls at the feet of Jesus, saying to, her, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the second sister saying this. Lord, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. What does it say that Jesus does? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And this is the smallest Bible verse in all the, in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? This is the third time that it's been questioned that if Jesus was just here earlier, he could have stopped him from dying. Go back to verse 35. What does it say that Jesus did? Jesus wept. Before he does anything else, before he offers these words of comfort before he steps in, before he does anything else, it says that Jesus, just in this moment, whenever he's, he's with the two sisters, he goes to the place where Lazarus has been laid, and it says that Jesus wept. I love those, that word there. It doesn't say that Jesus cried. It doesn't say that Jesus had this slow, single tear come down. It says that Jesus wept. Now, in my house, this is kind of what we call ugly crying, all right? Like, you ever seen somebody, like, like just ugly cry, and then those, like, just doesn't care, you know, and don't care who's watching, don't care who's around? That's kind of what's going on here. Like, it's not the, so, it's not the slow, 
trickling of tears here. Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. I don't know what type of picture that you have of of Jesus, but sometimes I I picture that Jesus is just always sad, or Jesus is this this warrior Jesus, and we love that type of picture of Jesus, and and we picture him up on the cross, but then we picture him in glory, and he's just this powerful man. But here in this moment, Jesus is weeping with his friends over the loss of a loved one. Now, there are a number of reasons that Jesus is weeping here. There's a number of reasons. The first reason that Jesus is weeping here is he's weeping for the loss of a friend. It's just that simple. This is one of the very first times in scriptures where we see that Jesus has come face to face with death. Now we know he's obviously close to 30, 31 years old here. This is not the first time he's seen somebody die, but this is just the first time we see it recorded where somebody that he actually loves has passed away. And it says that as Jesus goes to this, this, this tomb, it says that he mourns. He mourns over a friend that is gone. Just as simple as you or I would. Experiencing loss. Experiencing heartache. We've all been there. We've all had those moments in life. But there's another reason that Jesus is weeping too. There's another reason that Jesus is, it says that, He was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. You see, that deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, it doesn't just mean that Jesus was sad. It means that Jesus was angry. It means that he's outraged. Now, why in the world would Jesus be angry and outraged? Why in the world would Jesus be mad? You see, this man, Lazarus, You see, he was made in the very image of Jesus. He was made in the very image of Jesus Christ. And as you can see and as you can picture Jesus just standing there, there's this this Latin word that we use. It's called the Imago Dei, the Imago Dei, which means that each and every one of us, each and every person on this planet Earth was made in the image and likeness of God. And in this very moment, in the tomb, Jesus is sitting there with Lazarus, and he's seeing and he's experiencing the death of somebody made in his own image and his own likeness. Like, can you feel that right there? Lazarus is part of his creation, created in the very image and in the very likeness of God. We see that Genesis 1.27. But not only that, this is a reminder to Jesus of what happened long, long, long ago in the garden, in that moment, whenever sin entered the world and man rebelled against God. Jesus is just there. Can you, can you like picture it? Can you, can you just see him there? He's experiencing, he's coming back and he's moved in this, he's moved in his spirit. He's moved in his heart because he's reminded of what happened long, long ago in the garden Whenever man said, we would rather not do it your way, God, we'd rather do it our way, and they rebelled against God, sin enters into the world, and now this, in John chapter 11, is a repercussion of sin. Jesus is experiencing right here his greatest enemy, he's experiencing death. Can I just tell you, God hates death. God hates it. It is a reminder to him of how sin entered the world and fractured the relationship there. It's a reminder to him. 
And I just feel like as Christians, we have to do a better job at grieving. We have to do a better job at grieving. Let me explain what I mean by that. How many of you have ever been to a funeral? I, I have. How many of you have ever been to a funeral and you walk in and somebody tries to comfort you by saying, oh, he or she's in a much better place. Just don't worry about it now more. They're not suffering or anything like that. And, or, or even those, those moments in funerals where we, we don't call them funerals. We don't call them what they are, but we, we call them celebration of life so ceremonies. We call them celebration of life moments. Because we so don't want to grieve. We so don't want to, to be in a funeral. We so, we so don't want to face our ultimate enemy, which is sin and death. And every time we, we, we look past it and we say, we're just going to celebrate. Every time we say, I'm not going to grieve. Every time we look past it and say, I'm not going to mourn. Every time we do that, what we're doing is we're looking past our great enemy of sin and death. Here in this moment, Jesus doesn't look past it. He doesn't walk right to the tomb and resurrect them. It says that he walks to the tomb and he mourns. It says that he, he, he mourns over the loss of life here. You see, this is the same exact thing. There's a lot of Christians who, who love Easter and want to celebrate Easter without remembering on Good Friday. Right? They want Easter, but we hate Good Friday. And every time we as Christians want to look past death, not want to face it, don't want to grieve, don't want to mourn, what we're doing is we're just trying to turn a blind eye to our greatest enemy of sin and death. Romans 12, 15 says that we rejoice with those who rejoice and that we weep with those who weep. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to say that we grieve differently. We don't grieve as those without hope, but that we grieve with those who do have hope. So we grieve differently than the world, but we still grieve. We still grieve. We still mourn the loss of life. And here's, my, here, here's what, I'm, what I'm getting at this morning. I hope that whenever moments like this happen in our country and in our world where catastrophe hits, where tragedy hits, I hope that you pause. I hope that it stops you in your tracks and you just feel the weight like, it's not a them problem. It's not something that's happening over in Florida. It's not something that's happening in, over in Las Vegas. It's not something that's happening in New York. No, no, no. It's not a them problem. It is an us problem. Because someone made in the image and likeness of God has just been taken from this world. So I hope that you stop whatever you're doing to just feel the weight and the magnitude of whatever's happened, whatever's gone on. But then he goes on. It doesn't just stop there. Thank goodness, right? Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Remember, it's not just sadness, but it's, it's outrage, it's anger. Deeply moved again. It says that he comes to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Notice again. Notice the detailed nature of this. He's been gone four, day, four days. There's no way that you can bring him back. He's dead. He's gone. And Jesus said to her, 
Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died, he come out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a beautiful moment here where Jesus just comes in and he restores. Jesus restores. Those around him, those around the dead said, no, 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 Jesus, there's an odor. You don't want any part of that. You don't want to be, na- you don't want to be near this. It's nasty. This process is, is taking place. It's nasty. He, there's odor there. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Many historians and people that look at this, they say that if he had not said Lazarus, he just said, come forth from the dead, then every dead person in the entire world would have come forth. So he specifically says here, Lazarus, come forward and Lazarus as he walks out he's he's bound just just moments before they said no 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 there is an odor Jesus says unbind him and let him go now we're not going to get into it but just a few moments later we're going to see where this this person this Lazarus just a few moments later he's at a cookout he's at a party with Jesus sitting around eating and just a few days earlier he was in a tomb you see Jesus is in the restoration business Jesus is in the restoration business. Now, he did this physically here, but it's not just physically in this moment that he's done that for us. You see, we too had an odor. We too had a stench. We were dead, spiritually dead. Jesus said, unbind him. Jesus said, let him walk. And now here we are in this moment. What does this have to do with Parkland? What does this have to do with catastrophe? What does it have to do with tragedy? Is Jesus going to do this in all of our situations? Is Jesus going to raise the dead? Can he? Yes, absolutely. What does Jesus have to do with Parkland? You see, it's in moments just like this. I, I'm not saying what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is that in moments like this, in moments like Parkland, in moments like Las Vegas, We as Christians, one, we need to grieve, but we also just need to give him room to work. We need to give him room to do his thing. We grieve as those those who have hope. We stand back in those moments. Just as Paul says later on, he says this word, maybe you've seen it on Facebook, maybe you've seen it on Twitter or something like that. We use this word, Maranatha, which means, oh Lord, come. Lord, come. Come with haste. And God do something in this moment. It is perfectly fine in moments just like we experienced last year to just say, God, come and do your thing. God, come and work. What if we prayed? What if we prayed in such a way that even the darkest moments of this life, God, just pray that you would work. I'm going to remove myself. I'm going to step out of this picture. I'm going to pray just in this moment that even in the hardest of circumstances of this life that you would do your thing, Jesus. We don't pray like that. We don't pray in such a way that even in the hardest of life 
that God can still work, that God can still do his thing. Not just on a, on a macro level, not just on an out there level, but on an in here level. Like in moments whenever I suffer, in moments whenever I feel like life, life is not going the way that I want it to, in moments whenever you suffer, whenever you feel pain, all I'm asking you this morning is to not give up the faith for God to work. To not give up the faith to say, Jesus, you can still do something incredible in this situation. Have we stopped believing in miracles? Have we stopped believing that Christ can do all things? Have we stopped believing that God is the sovereign one? Have we stopped believing that God can work even when life is messy? I think we have. I think we have. So whenever moments like that happen, we just say that word over and over. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come. So that's how we pray. We, we, we pray, one, we grieve, we stop, we recognize those things that have happened, but, but we say, Lord Jesus, come and do your will. But so, here's the problem. Some will still beg the question, though. Some will still say, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm here today. I, I, I just know that God's sovereign. And I know that He's in control. And I know that the root cause of all of this is because of sin. Because of sin, death has now entered into the world. The moment you see, the moment whenever we looked at, at God in the garden, Adam and Eve, and they stood there and said, we would rather have it our own way. I just know that it led into brokenness. And that brokenness is still going on today out in the world, but the brokenness still lives in me and you. So what do we do with that question of what happens? Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? I love R.C. Sproul's answer to this question. He says, many will ask, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, that really only happened once. And he volunteered Meaning Jesus is the only good one who something really, really bad has ever happened to. He's the only one who's really, really, really good at something really, really bad has ever happened to. You see, in that moment, Jesus doesn't just know what suffering feels like. He doesn't just know what suffering feels like. He knows far beyond suffering. You see, Jesus' suffering was not like our suffering. His, his suffering was not like anything we know. And I, I don't just mean physical. Sure, there was, a, there was a moment in time where he was taken, he was beaten, and they ripped out his beard. They put a crown of thorns over his head. Like you couldn't even recognize Jesus to this moment. That's not even the type of suffering that I'm talking about. You see, Jesus' suffering was not just physical. You guys know that, right? It wasn't just physical. Jesus experienced a an emotional suffering, a spiritual suffering. A moment here on the cross of just total and complete abandonment. There came a point in time on the cross, his, as he was there up on the cross, he, he said, he's crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And I kind of asked myself, maybe particularly whenever I was younger in life, why does Jesus feel like God has forsaken him? Have you ever asked that question? Why does it feel like God? And just moments before, it says that Jesus was in the garden, and he's praying, and he's asking his Father, God, he's saying, God, if there's any way for this to pass over me, that just let it pass. God, if there be any way, let this cup passeth from me. Have you ever wondered why Jesus asked that question? I don't know if you've ever read Old Testimony stories. I don't know if you've ever read stories about other missionaries, about those, those old men of the faith who loved, who loved God, who loved Jesus. And it says that they were, many of them were, were, were hung on a cross like Peter, hung upside down like Paul who was beheaded. Many men and women have been burned alive for their faith have been put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in those moments, those missionaries, those, those people who had faith, even Paul and Peter, they weren't asking that question. They weren't saying, God, let this cup pass from me. They faced it with bravery. They faced it with courage. And they were singing songs and praises even in the moment of death. Why does Jesus look differently? Is he lesser than they? Does he have less courage than Peter? Does he have less courage than Paul? Does he have less courage than the missionaries? Why didn't Jesus just go to the cross and why didn't he just sing hymns up there on the cross? Why is he asking for this cup to pass from him? You see, it's here in this moment that as Jesus is on the cross, he's feeling the weight of every single drop of suffering that you've ever felt in this life. He's feeling the weight of my suffering. He's feeling the weight of your suffering. But more than that, He's feeling the weight of your sin, the weight of your rebellion from Him. He's feeling that, and all in that moment, as the Father has to turn, Jesus is crushed. He's crushed on our behalf. He's literally, in this moment, separated. From God. Now, I've had acquaintances in my life that said, I don't want anything to do with you ever again. I've had acquaintances in my life that have said that, where they have completely abandoned me and don't want to be a friend, whatever, it's cool. Could you imagine if a friend that you loved abandoned you in the blink of an eye and said, I don't want anything to do with you ever again? Some of you have had that happen. Can you imagine if it was a a family member, a parent, a spouse whom you love would look at you and just in the blink of an eye say, "I, I don't want anything ever to do with you again. Some of you have probably felt that. Jesus in this moment is being separated from his father whom he has been with at his side for eternity and eternity and eternity, and forever, and forever, and forever, and forever. Here in this moment is the most emotional and spiritual anguish that has ever graced this present earth. Here in this moment, it was a feeling, just the weight of all human suffering. And I I love what Tim Keller says. He says, why did he do it? Why did Jesus get up on the cross and do it? says that the Bible says that Jesus come on a rescue mission for creation. That he came on a rescue mission. 
And that he had to pay for our sins so that someday he can end evil and suffering without ending us. So that he could come into the world and die on the cross. And so that he could come on this rescue mission. So that he could end evil. And so that he could end suffering without ending us. Because if he ended evil and suffering just for what it was, he would have had to eliminate us. Because we are evil. We are sinful. Jesus died for things just like parking. Jesus died for things just like what happened out in Las Vegas. He died for those moments. And I just, I want to end with this this morning. I I just want to end, like, I know this has been really heavy. And on one hand, I kind of apologize for it. (laughs) Last week we talked about Fortnite. Next week we'll talk about Black Panther. That's all I got, all right? Like, sometimes these... These moments are just necessary. And um, I just want to leave you with this. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had nightmares before, right? How many of you ever had a nightmare? Just a, just a terrible nightmare. My wife gets them all the time. You know, she wakes up, she's crying. And sometimes she's mad at me, and I'm like, I didn't do anything. It's a nightmare. Like, all right, it's a dream. It wasn't me. Let me go make you breakfast, like I, I promise. And Nightmares are the worst. I don't know if you've ever experienced like a nightmare where you just, you experience the worst, you know, the worst loss. You know, I was a kid, I was always my mom. Like something always happened with my mom or something like that. And immediately after you wake up, you like want to go and find that person. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, you're alive, you're alive. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm here, you know. And something that happened in a dream to you was very real, Right? It was very real, and you feel the pain of it. You feel the weight of it. But then immediately, whenever you wake up, you feel that relief. And you go and you find this, the person that this bad dream, this nightmare was about. And you, you find this, this extra delight in them, right? You know what I mean? Like, you find this extra delight in them, and you want to wrap your arms around them. I love you. I thought you were gone. I, I thought it was over. You see, one day... As we're in heaven with the Father, there's going to be this moment where we just look back on all this world, all the things that have happened. And it's just going to be a, a bad nightmare. And it's going to give us more delight in our Father who's right there. And everything about this life, the suffering, the pain, it's going to become untrue as we're standing there with Jesus. I just want to offer you that hope this morning. Would you guys pray with me? Father, as we pray right now, and God, we just come to you this morning. Lord, we, we don't know, Lord, in our flesh sometimes, the best way to go about grieving. We don't know how to go about tragedy and catastrophe and so we just pray for wisdom we pray for wisdom that we would handle events like this with a lot of grace with a lot of love with a lot of compassion we pray in moments like this God that that we would grieve the loss of life grieve someone made in your image and likeness that has been taken from us. 
But we know ultimately, God, that you provided a way for us to never experience suffering again. And that wasn't by avoiding suffering, but it was by you coming to experience the most grueling suffering of all. Lord, you didn't put yourself off the hook for our human suffering. You didn't put yourself off the hook for sin. You didn't put yourself off the hook for death, but you intervened in such a way where you put yourself on the line. You put yourself on the hook for things just like Parker. And so we grieve with those who grieve, yet we look forward with hope. We look forward to the day that because you died on the cross, or that one day all of this will just be a dream. And what's happening in heaven is the reality. Let us embrace that this morning. For those that are here this morning, that are hurting and needing healing, we believe that you're the healer. We believe that you're still very much in the restoration process. Some here this morning just need healing. Some of it physical. Some of it emotional. Some of us need spiritual healing today. We're, we're tired of grieving. We're tired of mourning. And we stand with Paul and we say, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. Lord, would you come this particularly heavy. So this morning, we're just going to invite you to do whatever you need. Some of you, it's maybe to sit and pray and ask God to bring healing. For others of you, you might need somebody to pray with. I'm going to be in the back of the room. My wife's going to be in the back of the room. If you just need somebody to pray with this morning, just know that that's why we're here as pastors. We're happy to pray with you. This morning, if you never come to a, a place where you've come to know Jesus, I just want you to know that you're still on this side of suffering. You're still on this side, the, the weeping side, the, the mourning side, and, and there is hope for a better future. There is hope for a better tomorrow, and that's only through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, pray that today might be today. If you have any questions about that, maybe today you want to take a step towards that. Pray that you wouldn't delay. Come and see our pastors. We invite you guys to be obedient this morning, whatever God's calling you.